Um, I'm going to give you one proverb in two translations just because it's cool. Um, Proverbs 5, verse 15. Drink water from your own cistern and running water from your own well. Hmm. That's about being faithful. Be faithful to your own wife and give, her your, lo- give your love to her alone. Great, great passage. Great passage. I love that. Today, we're going to continue in um, our study of the Apostle Paul, and we're going to be in the Bible in a place called, in a book called Philemon. And um, I encourage you, by the way, to um, bring your Bible to church if you don't. I know I have a habit of giving you all the scriptures, and that might cause you to think, well, I don't need to bring my Bible, it'll be up there. But it's good for you to have the Word of God in your hands anyway. However, this is one of the most difficult books to find because it's a page. It's probably just one page. It's a little tiny, tiny book in the New Testament. Um, anyway, so, uh, but, but, but our study is, uh, we've been following this guy named Paul, who is probably the greatest theologian that the church has ever known. And there's not even a close second. The thing was, he wasn't just a great theologian. He was also a relational genius. And so we're learning a lot about relationships. And, and I think about that, you know, an awful lot of times when we get into problems in relationships with somebody, what goes sideways um, is, is not our capacity to believe the right things, but usually it's to figure out how to practice the right things in a way that doesn't blow up relationships as it, you know, as it relates to people. And if you consider the times that maybe you've been a little bit cross-threaded with a relationship with somebody, you know, it's, it's more often than not, it's a, it's a relational reason that you're cross-threaded. It's not a theological reason. Most of the time, it's because we've done something that harmed the relationship. And, you know, you can believe the right things, but really struggle trying to figure out how to live them out with your family and how to live the right things with your friendships. And, 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 and to be just very transparent with you today, I, I, just, I don't want us just to be truth people. You know, just truth people. Truth, truth, truth all the time. I don't want you just, just to have your head full of sound doctrine, although I want that, okay? I, I want you to have sound doctrine, but, but I, I mean, everybody knows the guy who really knows the word of God, he can exegete the word of God, but he can't forgive his son, right? Everybody knows the man who, or, or the person who, who can really extract the meaning out of the word of God, he can exegete the word of God, but he can't exegete out of his own wife's countenance that she's unhappy or broken or bruised. So, um, I mean, the goal is not to just be truth people, but to live that truth out in a way that's full of love as we relate to each other. And the Apostle Paul was outstanding at that. He was outstanding. And uh, so I, I want to pray. Let's, let's just pray as we get into God's word. Lord, we believe, um, the, and, and your word teaches, that, that we have to have the Holy Spirit help us understand your word. So God, right at the very beginning here, we, we take a posture of humility. We, we bow before you because we acknowledge that there, that, that, that learning things about the Bible can be an end in itself, to somehow fill ourselves up with head knowledge. You, you say in your word, God, that, um, that anybody who hears the word, but they're not a doer of the word, they're deceiving themselves. They're just deceiving themselves. Help us, Lord, to discover ways that truth you know, will prevail and be implemented somehow this week. <laughs> Lord, give us an opportunity to, to, to apply what we learned out in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're getting into the book of Philemon. Now, um, this was written by the Apostle Paul. It's a letter he wrote to a guy named Philemon. And um, he was in prison when he wrote this. And it happened about the year 58 or 59 or or, or 60 
um, A.D. Jesus has gone off to heaven for a little under 30 years, and um, it's a pretty hard book to find. It's one page. It's in the New Testament. If you can find any of the New Testament books that start with the letter T, you're close. Okay, here's a trick. All of the T's are together, and they're alphabetical. Thessalonians, Timothy, Titus, Philemon, right after that. Okay, so if you can find a T, you can found, you found all the T's. It would have been nice if they could just had numbers instead of names. But anyway, so um, anyway, so that's where it is. And um, the guy who receives this letter is a guy named Philemon, and he was a fairly well-off man. Um, he was a pretty sincere follower of Jesus. And um, the subject, um, oh, okay. So another thing about Philemon is he hosted a church in his house, and he lived in a town called Colossae. Now, the reason I point that out to you is because there's another book of the Bible called Colossians, which is a way of describing people who live in Colossae. That, is, that, that letter Paul wrote to the, the church of Colossians, the people of, of in the Colossians in the, in the church in Colossae. What I'm trying to say is that, that Philemon, probably, that church was in his house. You know, when I open the book, you know, the Bible, and I say, oh, Colossians, I figure, oh, it had to be this huge, massive, citywide church. Probably was a lot smaller than this. And they got a letter from God. How cool would that be? Anyway, so, anyway, so he's, he's, got, he's pretty well off. He's got a house. He's, he houses the church. And um, this letter is to him. And it's, the subject is to, to him is about this slave named Onesimus. And... Um, he was a runaway slave. By the way, the Bible does not condone slavery, okay? But it was a common practice, and the Bible does regulate it in some ways, not because it condones it, but because that was a practice of the day. And, and the Bible said, here's, you know, wait a minute, here, here, you know, here's some, some proper ways to, to, to regulate it. But, but, but it's, it's really great wickedness. And this letter is about a runaway slave named Onesimus. And um, Paul is writing this letter to try to fix things between Onesimus, this runaway slave, and his master, Philemon, the guy who's hosting the church, okay? It's kind of, kind of an odd circumstance. We don't have a lot of that going on around here anymore. We have a lot of that going on, the, the conflict between believers. That's, that's present in the world today. And, and Paul is on really good terms with Philemon. And Paul is on really good terms with Onesimus, okay? But they're not on good terms with each other. In fact, they're... You know, it's fractured. Paul's putting himself in this letter in the very middle of their circumstances, and he's trying to bring them back together. And my goal today, and, and with any Sunday, is that as we go through the Word of God, we learn some things, but the Holy Spirit takes something in there, and somehow it translates, you're different, and you're, the way you behave and the way you impact people's lives changes in that week. You okay with that, right? Okay, so, um, you know, I think it would help as we go through the message today if you would consider the names of some people. You can, don't say them out loud, you can write them down, or you can just say, put them in your mind. But you can probably think of two people that you're on good terms with both of them. And they're not on good terms with each other. Okay, so think about that for a minute. The Holy Spirit's probably giving you some names. You probably know some, some people. You're on good terms with both of them. If you, you know, if after church today, you run into one of them in the restaurant, everything's going to be great. But, if they both show up at the same time, at the same place, it's not good. Something will happen, okay? I mean, you know, because you're on good terms with both of them, but they just don't get along with each other. Everybody knows people like this. And here's the reason why, you know, 
we don't think about this, where I'm going to go with it. We don't think about this too often. I mean, we think to ourselves, well, I'm, I'm going to do terms with him, and I'm, my life's kind of smooth right now, and why would I stick myself in the middle of that? Why would I want to, you know, th- th- they'll both get mad at me if I do that. <laughs> so everything's good in my house. Why would I want to put myself in the middle? And the reason that we think that way the reason I think that way is because I'm selfish. I'm a selfish man. Where are the amens today? Where are the... <laughs> I mean... <laughs> no, 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 I didn't mean it like that. I meant for you to say, I'm selfish too. Not, yeah, you are selfish, Terry. <laughs> okay, okay. All right. and, and here's the thing. What, what you know... The church, the church needs to be kind of a mirror. It doesn't need to be a place where we can come and let the Holy Spirit help us see some things. And, you know, and so the, the reason that we're going to look at this today is because there's some selfishness in us that prevents us from doing the right thing in relationships sometimes. And here's the point. God is bigger than my selfishness. And um, I tend to think about most of the time what's going to benefit me, right? I mean, it's like, you know, and what God actually wants is for people to reconcile, right? I mean, the heart of the gospel is reconciliation. God doesn't want anybody at odds with anybody else. He doesn't want that. That's not, he wants people to humble themselves and to get along. And the problem is, you know, she's not listening to him anymore. And, you know, he doesn't trust her anymore. And, and um, you know, so somebody with the confidence of both of them has to sometimes get them both together and say, hey, come on, there's, you know, stick themselves in the middle of that and so they can somehow bring them together. So today's passage, this whole passage, is going to help us see how to bring two people together, how to bring two people together. So now it's, this is a, it's, it's kind of stunning to me that this, there's a whole book in the New Testament that's really not about anything else. This whole, this whole book you know, when you're, you're on good terms with two people and they're not on good terms with each, with each other, what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to... Here's the book that explains what we're supposed to do. So at the end of this message, and you think about these circumstances, and I know you can't go around, we can't all personally go around and fix everything in the world, but you may have been placed by God where you're the person who could bring two warring people together who are believers or not believers, whatever. You could make a difference and you kind of have this sense from God, you know... Come on, Terry, don't be selfish here. Get in here. I need your help, Terry. You should either go do that or just tear this page out of your Bible. Just go ahead and tear Philemon. Ooh, sacrilegious. Like, you're looking at me like you're going to take me out back and stone me and then tie me to the railroad tracks. That was the scary thing about coming to pastor here. There's railroad tracks right there. And I knew that in any Sunday you could turn on me and tie me to the railroad tracks. Thank you for not doing that. Anyway, one whole book. So how to bring two people together, and we're going to see several practical steps, and we're going to, I'm going to give them to you. Here's the first one. First thing that we'll see Paul do. He says, make it an appeal instead of a requirement. And we're going to see these, these points that, I'm, that, that we're going to look at today. We're going to see them come up in this passage. Make it an appeal instead of a requirement. Paul's writing to this letter to Philemon. He starts verse 1. Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon our beloved fellow worker, and a few other workers, but mainly Philemon, that's why his name's at the top, and Aphia, and our sister, and our Kippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house, 
Then he greets them, verse 3, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Then he says some pretty amazing things about them. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have towards the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Does, does, does Paul love Philemon? Obviously, yeah. But you're going to notice something here. Love does not necessarily mean that you don't need to challenge somebody about something just because you love them. Doesn't mean sometimes you're not supposed to challenge them. Now, verse 8, accordingly... You know, in view of this immense affection that I have for you, accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required. In other words, Paul's pointing out, he says, I have the position here. I got the authority to tell you to do this. Now, we live in a culture today that doesn't recognize authority like this. You know, And we're the ones that suffer for it. I mean, parents ought to be able to tell their children, hey, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm your father, I'm, I'm your mother, and this is kind of how it goes. And um, we ought to be able to do that. Even, even, I really believe this, even when they become adults, there's a position of parental authority that needs to be honored. There's a place of authority. And it doesn't mean that our parents are, are better than us or more valued than us, but there is an office created by God in heaven, and there are different levels of, of offices, and they're there for covering. They're there for protection. They're not to lord over. Anyway, so, I mean, parents, husbands, you should lovingly be, have the opportunity to say things to their wives. Honey, I really feel like that we need to pray about this because this is moving on my heart. Or our small group leader should be able to say to your small group, if you're the small group leader, assuming that the Lord is speaking to you some things, you should be able to say, you know what, hey, 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 I really feel like the right way for us to be thinking about this is, I mean, there should be some authority there. Pastors should be able to say to their church, hey, you know, this is what the word of God says. And there should be some respect for the authority in the structure that the Lord has placed, whatever, at whatever place that is. But notice this godly leader, Paul, he's certainly a godly leader. He doesn't exercise the stripes on his sleeve. See these stripes? You see, I got more stripes than you. Now drop it, give me 50. He doesn't do that. He doesn't do that. He doesn't, in spite of that, he's saying, you know, I'm bold enough, I, I have courage enough, I have position enough, I got confidence to tell you to do this. He could do that. But he says, verse 9, he says, yet for love's sake, for love's sake, he's saying, I want to submit my behavior to the highest law, the highest law. As I choose how to handle this, as I decide how to conduct myself, I don't want to just act out of my position of authority. I'm going to go to the highest. There is something higher than your position, men, moms. There's something higher than your position, small group leader, pastors, whatever. (laughs) There's love. And love is the highest law. I've been looking at some old hymns. <laughs> There's a great one. We don't sing hymns here, and that's fine with me because I just don't know about that. It just, <laughs> it's just not our culture. It's not our style. And when I see them in a movie, I'm almost embarrassed. I'm by myself, and I get embarrassed, not because I think the hymns are great, but I think the way that it portrays us to the world. Anyway, so 
that's a, there's, a, there's a hymn called Love is the Theme. Listen, of the themes that men have known, one supremely stands alone. Love is the theme, love is supreme. Sweeter it grows, glory bestows, bright as the sun, ever it glows. Love is the theme, the eternal theme. And Paul says, you know, I could command you to do this, Philemon, verse 9, yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. Now, that word appeal means to beg or to plead or to, you know, take, unburden your heart with all of your compassion and your capacities. I could demand you to do this, but instead, because of love, I'm just appealing to you. Now, I've had my nose right down in God's word for a really long time. I mean, I mean, just like many of you, for a really long time. And, and I can, you know, I can put down a good layer of truth. Truth, truth, truth. I can do that. Um, but there's been something continually growing in me for years and years. And it's never going to stop growing. I can tell you that. Um, John um, 1, verse 14. And the world became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And truth people gloss right over that grace. I mean, the glory of Jesus isn't that he was just full of truth, but he was also full of grace. Full of grace and truth, it says. And here's the thing. All truth and no love it's just simple brutality. You know, Galatians, the Holy Spirit spoke in Paul's letter to the Galatian church, if you bite and devour one another, be careful that you're not consumed by one another. And I don't want, you know, the legacy of my life <laughs> or this church to just be truth, 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 truth all the time. It's, you know, you know, there has to be a place for love and there has to be a place for forgiving and forbearance. And, and we don't want to be a truth, truth, you know, just be harsh. So he says, let it come across. He comes across as an appeal from the heart. You know, let's, let's be on the same page. Let's, let's, he's saying, let's love one another. Let's, you know, let's forbear this. Let's live in unity. There's something better that God wants to lead us to. For love's sake, it's better to appeal. Now, thinking about the names that you either wrote down or you're considering because you got those names in your mind. You know, if you're going to go out today after church or sometime this week and decide to obey this scripture, and um, I'm challenging you to not leverage your position, but instead to make it an appeal. You know, open your heart, humble yourselves before them. You know, hey, when you did this, you know, you probably didn't realize it, but it was it was hurtful. And when you said this, I don't think you realized. Um, can, can we work this out? Because the Holy Spirit, you know, you're having this conversation. The Holy Spirit's just grieved by this broken separation that's gone on. Can, can, can we somehow, and, and it's just this tone of appeal. Yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. And the second thing is, you start with the more wounded person. You start with the person. Yet for Christ, for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus. He's saying, hey, I'm an old dude. I'm, I'm old now. Um, I don't know how long I'm going to be here, but I don't want to leave this world until we get this sorted out. Okay, so that's, he's kind of leveraging his age here. I'm in jail for Jesus. You know, you know, he's, he's talking to I'm in jail right now. What's, 
what's your relationship with Jesus costing you today? He's, he's kind of getting in, <laughs> getting in Philemon's grill here. You, 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 you can't even work this out, Philemon? Come on. Come on, Phil. Get with it. I'm in prison for Jesus. You can't even... Verse 10. I appeal to you for my child. Excuse me. My child, Onesimus. I appeal to you for my child, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Can you imagine what it would be like to get a letter from the Apostle Paul? You know, post office, one day you go out to your mailbox, and it's a Terry, to Terry, from Paul the Apostle. Wow. Okay, so, I mean, that'd be pretty cool. Don't you think it would be cool? Okay, I'm a Bible nerd. I think it would be pretty pick and cool. And I think Philemon thought, man, I got a letter from Paul. This is, to me, it's, it's for real. It's addressed to me. So he starts reading this letter out, you know. Hey, check this out. I got a letter from Paul. You know, he and I are tight. It's like pretty cool. He's praying for me. He likes how I'm sharing my faith. We're tight. You know, it starts out, you ever get one of these, you know, where things start out really good. You get a letter from somebody and things are really good. And then he says, I appeal to you for my child. Onesimus! Blood pressure. Bomb. That guy lied to me. He stole from me. He ran from me. Paul does not know what he's talking. He should just mind his own business. <laughs> Stop meddling in my life, Paul. This is what it's like to live with me. <laughs> my wife is smiling right now. When I act weird, you should all turn and look at her to find it. What is it like to live with that man? I can tell you what it's like. Birds suddenly appear. <laughs> okay, that is a rabbit trail. He's probably ticked off. What are you sending me this letter for? You have no. Oh, and, you know, Paul started with Philemon because he's, he's burdened, he's upset. He started with the more wounded person. I appeal to you for my child Onesimus because Paul had led him to Christ. Here's another little side thing I'm looking at here. I mean, consider Onesimus is running away from his master. He's running away from the church at Colossae. And who does he run into? Paul. He runs into Paul. I mean, and what happens? (laughs) What happens when an unsaved person runs into Paul? They get saved. I mean, they're gonna they're gonna get brought to God's going to love is going to pour over them and they're going to get saved something something's going to happen here I mean it's a great thing to think about when you consider people that you know and you would say this guy's running this girl is running you probably have people somebody in your life right now who's running away from you they're running away from your influence isn't it cool to know that the Lord is capable of sticking somebody in that pathway you parents your children have run, or maybe they're running now, and you're concerned. Scripture says, raise up a child in the way as you go. When they're old, they will not depart. There is a promise there, and God's doing stuff on your behalf, on the behalf of that prayer, to honor his word and to honor his love for your children. And isn't it cool to know that God can stick somebody in the pathway of someone who's running, and you don't have to engineer it. There's a better engineer than you and me. Anyway, I, I love that, you know, where God can put somebody in their path <laughs> wherever they go. So, you know, you make an appeal. You make that appeal to the more wounded person, you know, the person who's lost the most, who's 
giving up the most. And then number three, you elevate the person over the issue. You put the person over it. I appeal to you for my child, Onesimus, verse 10, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Notice he doesn't say, hey, Philemon, I want to talk to you about how this has impacted your pocketbook. I I want to talk to you about your financial loss with this runaway slave. I want to talk to you about how much this cost. He doesn't start with that issue. Here's why. Because when the issue becomes more important than the person, that relationship will break. I'm going to read that again. When the issue becomes more important than the person, the relationship will break. I wish I could tell you that was book knowledge for me. I've broken relationships because I was stupid about an issue. And I understand that there are some issues that are really important and we need to take a stand, amen? There are some issues that we need to take a stand for, right? Okay, we agree with that. But the rub comes when the truth is more important than that relationship. Here's um, something, I think this is great counsel that I've had somebody say to me and I'm going to say it to you. Don't make that person's relationship with God the test of their relationship with you. Drop that requirement. Drop the expectation that if someone's going to have a relationship with you, they've got to also know God. How do the lost find out about the good news if they don't get to hang out with the saved people sometimes? I'm really grateful that saved people hung out with me. I'm not so sure that I have been as open-hearted about that as I would want to be, or at least as much as the Lord would want me to be. You can stand for the truth. You can stand for what you believe without forcing that relationship to, to, to some sort of estrangement over, over truth. You know, if you can't pick the fruit, don't bruise it, right? The Lord will send somebody else, but don't bruise it. You can keep loving, you can stand for the truth, but keep loving and give God some time to work things out. That's what we should do, because that's what Paul's doing here. And the problem is that when the issue becomes so massive that we shatter the relationship over that issue, that's a problem. Don't do that. You know, find some way to circle back and share your love with that person. Find some way to communicate the grace you know, communicate to them the grace that you have in your heart towards them. Find some way to share that with them. Find some way to connect your heart with their heart. You know, you know, you know I'm just not good at things being the way they are. I, I, we got to talk. It's just killing me. We got to get this fixed. Find some way to communicate. Um, <clears throat> you know, because I realize that reconcili- reconciliation does not solve the problem. It just somehow absorbs it. Reconciliation doesn't remove the differences. It just bridges the differences. It doesn't eliminate a problem, but it just elevates the relationship over the problem. You know, We can work this out. We can do it better together than we can trying it on our own. And, and no matter what, you're more important to me than the point. We share those kinds of things, and that needs to be our heart. You know, As a parent, you can say, I will never support something that I know will hurt you but I love you and I want you in my life. We bridge those issues. Bridge those issues. We make it an appeal. We start with a more wounded person. We elevate the person over the issue. And number four, we focus on the present without negating the past. See if this ha- doesn't happen in verse 11. He's talking to Philemon about Onesimus. Formerly, he was useless to you, 
But now he is indeed useful to you and to me. Paul's saying, you know, I, I know. I, I know he was that guy. He wasn't, he wasn't that profitable to you. He wasn't that useful to you. But now he is. He's acknowledged the past. I know he was that guy. But now he's, he's not that guy anymore. You know, one of the best things you can do for a person is to put them on a new page. A new page. Have you ever been in a place where the people there have you time-stamped for 1998? That's who you were on that day in 1998. That's who you will always be to me. Or in 1999 or 2006, there's this date that they've, that's who you are. One of the greatest gifts we can give to each other is to put each other on a new page. You know, God's working on all of us, right? Tell somebody God's working on me. Thank you for not saying Terry that time because I was kind of was listening. <laughs> God is working on Terry. He's working on all of us. And, and, and you're not what you can be. You're not what you should be. But you're not what you used to be. <laughs> That's a big difference. One of the biggest gifts we can give each other is put each other on a new page. You know, don't hang on to those hurts. Don't, you know, don't lock a person in time. Don't lock them. Don't date, date stamp people. You know, if you hang on to those things, you're just making it worse, right? You're just making it worse. And, and a lot of people really do. They bear hug their hurts and they nurse their hurts and they rehearse the thing and they hold on to it. And when that thing finally starts to go out, they fan that flame again because they don't want that hurt to go out. And you know, you think it's helping, but it's not. It's hurting you. It, it leads to something called bitterness. And, and, and bitterness is like, is like gripping a hot coal. The tighter you grip it, the more it hurts you, right? That's what bitterness is. It just, it just hurts you. You've got to be willing sometimes to take you know, what has hurt you or what has disappointed you and, and say, I, I'm not going to hang on to that anymore. I'm just... And, and, and it's in the releasing of that thing that someone's done to you that you experience grace. They'll get it too. But when you release something that someone has wronged you, you are never more like Christ than in that moment. When you release this thing that they've done to hurt you and you're genuinely wounded and say, I'm not going to hold that against you anymore, you are more like Christ than any other moment in eternity. Because that's what Christ is. You know, that's the essence of the gospel. And that's what God was saying basically when he elevated relationship over the issue. And the issue was sin, right? And God said, I, you know, I'm not going to sweep away that sin. I'm just, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to act like it doesn't matter, but I'm going to pay the price for it. You're checking my theology just now, weren't you? <laughs> you know, there's sin that happens in our lives and there's consequences sometimes we have to walk out. But Jesus said, I, I, okay, it, it happened. But I'm going to pay that price. I'm going to give you rest. And um, he says, he basically said that freely. And his purpose was so we could have a relationship with him so that we could be right with God, so we can continue and grow. So you, you can acknowledge the wound, but you give it to God, and then that's, you know, you receive 
You, you, you then get the grace to forgive other people. That's how that works. So, so you're talking to the people. You've got these people together, and you're focusing. You know, you've got this, you're appealing. You're studying with the wounded person. You're elevating the person above the issue. You focus on the present. Five, next thing you see him do, he paints the picture of a better future. Paint the picture of a better future. Because when, when we're in despair from our wound, or you know, when we see people that are wounded, here's kind of what happens. They lose the ability to see a future. And I've heard words like this. I, I, I just can't see our future together anymore. I can't see a future with you. I, I hear words like that. You know, What you did broke my trust, and I don't know if it can ever come back. You broke my heart, and I just don't know. And that's exactly where a, another person in the middle can get in there and say, look, God's grace can get, through, get us through this. God's grace can not only repair this, but make things better than they ever could have been before. You know, and, um, you know, but I've lost all sight of that. I, I know. I know, but through forgiveness, you can get to a better place. You know, you get to a new page, a new stamp date. <laughs> you, you, you can let go of your hurt and you can move on. I mean, it's not God's will that, that, that any Christians end up with their relationships somehow driven, augured into the hillside. It's just not his will. And when you follow, you know, these footsteps Paul's got going on in this letter, by getting in the middle and helping people work things out, it's not always going to work out, by the way. You, can't, you and I can't personally save the world. It won't always, but it's always important. It's always important to try. It's always worth the effort. And so, you know, you try again and again. You paint, paint a, better, a picture of a better future. Here's, here's the picture Paul paints, verse 12. I'm sending him back to you, and notice he describes him, sending my very heart. Hey, hey Philemon, do you love me? Because this guy's my heart. Treat him the way you treat my heart. I'm sending you to my very heart. Verse 13, I would have been glad to keep him with me. He's adding value to the guy. In order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I prefer to do nothing without your consent. He's deferring here now. You know, and there's something cool going on. In order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own free will. Of your own will. I, you know, I want you to choose this, Philemon. I mean, I, I want you to see that you could do this. Because of God's grace that's already in you. You, you, you. you can do this. Verse 15, for this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while. Now he's looking to the future. You know, he's looking at the sovereignty of God. He sees some things. Maybe this is why this happened, that you might have him back forever. And now he's painting this future. I know he's kind of a bonehead and he ran away, but now he's coming back. Maybe, maybe that's why God let that happen. So that something really awesome can happen in your heart and in his heart. I mean, I believe this about God, right? I think sometimes things that are hard happen and God will use them to our benefit. More on that next time. Okay, that's going to be next. Next we're going to be on that. But um, verse 16, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So he's, he's been like a son to you, you know, Philemon, he was like a son to you, but now he's going to become a son spiritually. This could go from being like the worst relationship 
with God's time and God's sovereignty, this could become one of the best relationships, Philemon, that you have. So you paint a, a picture of a better future and you, know, you put them on a new page. And then six, pay what you can to leverage reconciliation. This can be hard. Pay what you can. Notice how Paul does this. And this, by the way, is the gospel. Big time. Okay, what goes on here? This is the gospel. In fact, if you've got your Bible, you can write in the side of your Bible right next to verse 17. This is the gospel, okay? Because this is it. So if, you're cons- if you consider me your partner, receive him as you'd receive me. So now he's cashing in some influence. It's like, are we friends? Do you care about me? Do you love me? Okay, I'm going to cash all that in right now. Because you guys are going to work this out. Paul's leveraging what he has. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. Verse 18. If he has wronged you at all, at all, at all, or owes you anything, charge that to my account. There it is. That's the gospel right there. That's, that's what Jesus did for you and me. That is it right there. And then he says in verse 19, and I chuckle about this. I, Paul, write this I, Paul, being of sound mind and body, I, Paul, write this with my own hand. Why did he mention that? Well, Paul didn't actually personally write the letters that you and I would see as Paul's letters. Um, Most scholars believe that he had terrible eyesight problems and he had a hard time doing that. He had what's called an amanuensis. Okay, it's a fancy word. It's basically a scribe. It's someone who he would actually dictate to and that person would write the letters. Okay, so... In this case, he, he's, he's dictating this letter to Philemon. And he says, hey, wait, 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 give me that, give me that pen. I'm going to write this part in my eye. Oh, you know, he's writing it down. He says, that's my signature. I'm going to pay for this. Don't, do not doubt the, I'm writing my own name. Do not doubt the credibility of this letter. I will repay to say nothing of your owing me even your own self. <laughs> okay, now he's really laying it down here. Yeah, yeah, we're keeping in touch, and I've pretty much given my life for you, Philemon, right? I mean, can you take just a minute, Philemon, and maybe do some math here? Where would your life be if I hadn't given a lot for you? And I'm cashing those chips in now to help you decide what's right. Okay, a little bit of pressure, that's fine. Verse 20, yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. So pay what you can to leverage reconciliation. We're almost done, and we're going to have communion here at the end of this, which um, I'm going to mention that now because communion is, is a declaration on our part that we are incapable of heaven on our own, and we recognize that Christ makes a way for us, and we embrace the way. That's, that's what communion is, way down, compressed into a nutshell. But there is also kind of a, um, um, this is my feeling, this is my opinion, okay? I feel like there's a kind of a contract involved. Elsewhere in Scripture, you'll see scripture, scripture say things like, if you will not forgive, your Father in Heaven will not be able to forgive you, right? So to receive communion and the agreement there, there's agreement to pass it on, to pay it forward. And that's what Paul's teaching us here. So, so pay what you can to leverage reconciliation. And then item number seven, express your intent to follow through and do it. <laughs> you might need to let it percolate for a while. You know, might need to give it 30 days, um, but take some action. And notice this, how he expresses his intent to follow through and he does this. Verse 21, confident of your obedience. He says, I know you're going to do it, 
because you say, you know, I know you're going to do this finally because you say you love God. And I know you'll do it because you also say you love God's word. I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me. Here's the intent to follow through. Now, Paul's in prison here. And we now know, in retrospect, he never gets out. But that didn't keep him from planning to go and telling Philemon so. For I'm hoping that through your prayers, I will be graciously given to you. And as the best as he could, he made sure to tell him, I'm coming to help you make sure you do this. And then he closes the letter. And here's the problem. Here's how we're going to fix it. I'm insisting. This is what the Bible's all about. I'm cashing in my chips. We're going to get this fixed together. Now, hopefully, you've got a couple of names. <laughs> and if you're on good terms with these two people and they're just not on good terms with each other, you know, trust has broken down or hurt has taken place, your place is to put yourself in the middle cash in the chips that you have and make them work it out. And if they won't, the burden needs to fall on the one who refuses. Okay, and I've seen that happen. You, you cannot control what decisions other people make. You know, but stay at it until it gets done. I just encourage you to do that. And I don't know how to say it more directly than what I said before. Is that if you have no intention to do it, just go ahead and tear this page out of your Bible. Terrifying, leave it out. I'm being facetious. Leave it in your Bible. Read it again. Let's pray. Father, I want to just thank you for the really good news of the gospel.